Hello, um, I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic, and you're listening to Genuine Chit Chat. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chits Chat. And this week, I'm incredibly pleased to tell you I'm speaking with Tony Farina. He's a friend of Genuine Chit Chat. He has been for a very long time, and he has been a supporter of my work for many, many years. And he has finally got a book deal. He's an avid writer. He's a teacher. He does all kinds of incredible things. He obviously has a podcast, Indie Comic Spotlight, and does a lot of other collaborations. He is just a person who brings so much positivity into the world. And he's got a book deal with four Horseman Publications, And that's what this conversation is about. They are young adult adaptations of the Jane Austen novels, the main six of them, and he's adapting each one of them. So this conversation is myself and Tony talking about all of those things. What made him write these books, what Jane Austen actually means to him, because obviously Jane Austen in Britain is quite an important thing, but I myself hadn't really read any Jane Austen before meeting Tony. He really inspired me to read some Jane Austen or to listen to the audiobook of Sense and Sensibility. But we delve into all of those things here. I will say of every author I've had on the show, this is the big one that if anyone can support Tony, either by subscribing to his newsletter, just going to his website, following him on social media, or best of all, pre-ordering the book, or if you're listening to this after May 29th, buying the book, Welcome to Mansfield, it would mean the absolute world to me. Obviously, I would love people to support me on Patreon and all those things, but I would say if it's between supporting me on Patreon and buying this book, please buy this book. I will do anything I can to assist with pushing this forward because Tony's an incredible individual, he's an amazing writer, and he is truly an inspiration. So I just want to say all of that before delving into things, but this conversation is going to go into all of those things with writing a novel and what Jane Austen means to Tony, and you'll hear in this full, unsplit conversation how passionate he is, and I really hope that his passion inspires all of you listening to follow whatever dreams you have, and of course, to support Tony as I'm trying to do. Details are going to be in the description for everything that Tony is up to. I'll also put details of other appearances he's had on Genuine Chit Chat and when I've appeared on Indie Comic Spotlight and all those amazing things. And don't forget to go to youtube.com slash Genuine Chit Chat, not only to see all my other content, but also there is a video version of this conversation. So you get to see Tony and you also get to see the book cover and things. So please make sure you do that. Subscribe on YouTube. And as I say, support Tony wherever you can. It will just make me and obviously Tony incredibly happy. So, without further ado, here is Tony Farina, author of The Austin Chronicles. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And here we are, after my, my mouth just made the weirdest noise ever when I pressed record Amazing. there. I don't know where I that came that. from. But, um, here we are. <laughs> I am good here to start. with Hello. Mr. Farina. Hello, good sir. And anyone who Hello. is um, watching on YouTube, you can see in the background that he's got a fancy graphic, which shows exactly what we're promoting today. Here's my notes today, okay? And with Tony, because I know we always talk about everything, here's my notes. Nice nothing blank. at all doesn't matter apart from at the very very top where i wrote uh the publisher of the of your book so we'll do use that as a jumping off point i'm sure i've gone many many tangents but we want to focus on you because you are a vessel of positivity in the world in the podcasting realm in the general world you're everyone who meets you you're one of their favorite people and you're just an absolute delight and so when it was confirmed that you got a publishing deal myself and everyone in comics in motion and all of us were all like it could not have happened to a better person because it's just someone who puts out so much good energy and is so enthusiastic and is such a talented writer and is so passionate about reading. It it was one of those things where, you know, I'm not a religious person, but moments like hearing that you are, you got published, I was like, 
if if there was a god, that's a pretty convincing, positive, Aww. karma element right. of things, which I was just like, Thank it's you. such a nice thing. So, Tony, tell us about your book. Tell us what's it called, even though people should be able to see it on YouTube, uh, but listeners and all that called, jazz. It's called Welcome to Mansfield. So, of course, everybody calls me Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. That's But my name is Anthony Russell Farina, and I've always thought, always, because, you know, as a kid, J.D. Salinger was one of my favorite writers. Still is. Um, and so I just always liked the initial thing. I was just thought, you know, then then you could be a little more ambiguous. You know, that's part of why um, J.K. Rowling did it, right? Because she was hiding that she was Joanne Rowling, whatever. And so it was never about hiding anything. I'm just still Tony. I still sign everything Tony. But, you know, like as somebody who has a name that nobody calls you, Mike, um, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that I always wanted to do. So so that is always in my mind. That would always be my and your website author is and my website arfarina.com. Well, I set that up. So I set that up as part of my MFA program. Like one of the uh, teachers there, Laura Pritchett, uh, who's a novelist in her own right, very talented. She said in our marketing class, she was like, "You got to get out there." So one of the assignments was set up some, give me a marketing. So I just made a free Weebly, and that's how it started. And it was super janky. And then I slowly made it a little better, and it was still pretty janky. And then once I got the book deal, Lee was like, and then now it looks awesome. It that does. was her. Everything was her. Like, I mean, I set up the pages and I put some of the things that some of the things are still in there. She's like, none of this just listing all the podcasts you've been on. So if you go to the podcast page, like your logo is there and Kyle's logo is there and spider dance logo and Scott's logo, like the logo, the femme, like when I did femme on with Jess, she was like, give me the logo. And so that's important to her to make it look pretty, which is good. She makes me look very good. And I so, will say with your website, one of them, I remember before it got, sort of redone and things yeah I just remember the main thing about it was i like big words and i cannot lie and that yeah. just i was like even though even if the website isn't the prettiest that being yeah. at the top is just hilarious so i really like <laughs> that you. element and that is actually the top we've we've kept that as that's the top of my uh newsletter mm. that's kind of the name of my newsletter so like when you subscribe to my newsletter the header which of course she made too was that so that was me and it was always like because that's obviously from the um sir mix a lot song is where that comes from but mm. uh I always would sing that when that song came on. Was I like big words and I cannot lie? And then you could like turn that into whatever you want about words. I love words. I always have. And so, anyway, my book—that's what you asked. It was a long-winded question. So my <laughs> book is called "Welcome to Mansfield," Mike. And um, it was done here. The weird thing about writing books, and I know you've had other writers on here who talk about this. And Frank's a little different because he knows he's getting his published because he's got his own his own publishing he's doing it all himself mm -hmm. but most writers like you write to do it you write in a vacuum mm -hmm. and like you're just sitting there and you're just banging it out and so i wrote my master's thesis which is a different book it's called the will that one is very salty the and again we were we said we would talk about the swearing we'll get to that in a second so that was a very salty book for adults it's not an adult book it's not like erotica which again Nothing wrong with that. My publisher publishes a lot of that. That's fine. Um, but it's just a very adult book about adult things. And it was experimental because it was for my MFA program. So there's seven different characters and they all write in first person present tense. And the story is in real time over seven days. So like the first you meet with this person and it says this person's name at the top. And then that person is speaking in first person present tense. And then it'll switch to the different character and that character's name. And then that character is picking up in real time. So you never go backward mm -hmm. except for when the mom who's dead, you hear from her. That's obviously in the past because she's dead. There's <laughs> forms of letters and stuff like that. 
they may talk about the past, but it's always in real time moving forward. So I had seven different voices, first person voices, and it was a crazy experience. It was fun. And that book is still not sold, shockingly. Um, But I'm proud of that book. I really like it. I worked really hard on it. But that was my master's thesis. And so then it was like, well, what am I going to do next? And I had a couple of other ideas. And I always, this book, Mansfield Park, as is the Jane Austen book that people don't like. Um, I mean, not everybody, I know you recently listened to Sense and Sensibility, um, which is great because the full cast is the way to go. But this one is her longest, most dense book. It's the only book where you follow the heroine from her being a little kid until adulthood. None of the other books follow anybody. And it was just kind of misunderstood. And so one of my last critical papers, like when you're getting an MFA, which is a master of fine arts is what it stands for. Um, When you're getting that, you have to write a lot of critical stuff as well as the fiction stuff. And so I was doing this deep dive into character. And so I was like, I'm going to think about, and of course her name in the book is really Fanny Price, which I learned from you and Megan, what Fanny means in England. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not the same. In America, it's butt. In America, it's a butt. But in, over here, it's the women's front butt. So it's it's, the front, <laughs> front butt. I think we're adults so we could say vagina. I yes. think we could say that. <laughs> I just like saying front butt. It just front cracks me up. Front butt is so fun. I love that. That's what it is now. It's the, Ameri- it's, the, and it's the British front. But anyway, when Jane wrote the book, obviously it wasn't that. Fanny just was short for Francis. And her mom is Francis. Hmm. It was a nickname. And her mom, and in the book, Mansfield, uh, Park, the mom is called Frances Price and her daughter is called Frances Price. So they call her Fanny. So in, in fiction, and when you hear like in Sense and Sensibility, um, John Dashwood's wife is called Fanny because her mom was called, her real name is Frances. Mm. Oh, right. I did not know. I did not know Fanny was an abbreviation of Francis. I would not yeah. guess that. No, there's a lot of weird not. things like Dick being the short version of Richard. It's like, who? Yeah. And uh, where did these Peggy, come from? Peggy for Margaret. Is that what that is? Oh my yeah, yeah. lord! Wow, I always thought Maggie because yeah. obviously we're with the Royals where yeah. we had with the Royals Margaret their nickname Maggie. So I've never uh, wow. Yeah, I'm and in my in the next book that I'm writing in the series, actually, I, her name is Maggie because it's ah. Margaret Dashwood's perspective yes. of that. Sorry. So, but yeah, so nicknames are weird. So anyway, so I was doing this character sketch of a Fanny. Price and I just was like, she's so misunderstood, and everybody thinks she's boring and whatever. And to be fair, the book ends. Spoiler alert for a two hundred year old book. Mansfield Park ends with her marrying her first cousin, so that's not great. And I was like, okay, well, if you're going to redo that, if you're going to spend some time in Jane Austen's world, um, you can't do that. It can't end with that. Um, so that's not that's not great. Um, but. I did just, I thought it would be fun. So the next project I wanted to do when I finished my thing was just like, okay, so the MFA, the will, I was writing it for my thesis. So it was an assignment. I had to turn in things. I had a grade. I had to do it to get my degree. And so then what are you going to do next? And I was like, well, you know, let me take a look at Mansfield Park. I just spent some time there for a paper I was writing for the critical piece. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that and just see what I can do. So I just started writing this book and I thought, well, what if I reframe Mansfield Park, and we don't tell her whole life story. We just focus on this little bit of her time. And initially, I thought it was going to take place over four years, like her in college, um, university, as you guys would say, um, at, right after high school. And and so I was like, okay, let's do that. So I started writing it, and that's not what it became. It actually takes place only over a few months, mm. but it's still a really good coming-of-age story. And um, so I just started. And as I was writing it, I was like, okay, I'm not calling her Fanny. I'll call her Junior. Like. I decided that she's a Southerner and and so they would call her Junior. And so Junior Price is her name. And 
And I, the rest of the story is kind of this beginning structure is very similar to the Mansfield Park book. And as I was writing it, I just thought, um, you know, it'd be fun to like have all these fun Easter eggs for uh, the other Austin books. And I just did that as a cheeky little thing. And then, then the book that I was querying it and querying it, and we'll come back. I'll tell a little bit more, but we we're querying it and querying it. And then um, through to our friend, Tanya Todd, um, she was like, check out this publisher for this other project we were doing. And I was like, oh, it's too bad. They only want to do um, series because I don't really have a series. And so I, I queried this at a different place, a different publisher who I didn't need an agent for. And um, they wrote me back and they said they were interested. But they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And so in the meantime, one day Lee and I were sitting there and it's like, you know, I already wrote all the other characters into this so so what if i just put it all in a shared universe and so like first book is the retelling of mansfield park but interestingly enough like fanny price is kind of a background character in her own novel like in any other novel she's not the main character because she's boring and people don't like her like the good girl is never the star Mm -hmm. right it's always the salty girl and there's a lot of those girls in this in mansfield park but so all the other characters that i put in there were like the forgotten characters in the novels but they're side characters and so I was like, oh, well, what if I just did that? And then the second book would retell Sense Sensibility, but from Margaret Dashwood's perspective, or retelled Pride and Prejudice through Mary Bennett's perspective, or Emma through Jane Fairfax. So these are the characters I put in. So I pitched it to my publisher. They're called Four Horsemen Publications. I did not know they were a Florida-based publisher when I submitted because of the internet. And I submitted. And it was like a couple of weeks, maybe a month later, they sent the thing and were like, let's talk. We were interested. And it was so cool. And so the person, I want to make sure I thank her for this. I didn't realize how intricate she was into making this happen. So one of the people who works at Four Horsemen, she's called Bo Lake. She's a writer in her own. We'll show note her. I'll send you her link. We'll show note Bo Lake's stuff. She's a writer too. But she's the one who read it and was like, oh, I dig this. This is what I want. And so she reached out to one of the editors there, who's a big J-Knight, and is like, this is something we should do. And it's slightly different from everything else, because it's not like hardcore romance. It's not, you know, there's no sexy time or anything. Um, And it's not science fiction. That's mostly what Four Horsemen does. But they were like, they took a chance. They loved the idea. It's a series, but it's not like a traditional series where it's like cliffhanger, you know? Um, And they said yes. And so then I wrote that other company and said, sorry. Uh, thanks for the thanks for you know I know you're still considering me but I've got a publication offer and then moved on with my life and then two weeks later I got an email from that place from the other publisher somehow the person who was supposed to get that email didn't work there anymore so they never got the one oh, they wow. offered me they offered me a book deal too so I I two different companies wanted this book so that makes me feel very good very good that's very the, that's the long story of how I got there so I wrote a book just for fun for me. The thought being, I love Jane Austen. Do you? There's lots. Really? I do. I've, I never There's heard a, about that. Is there? Is there any sort of hint in each of the rooms in your house that would give people? An I don't know that would give anything away. There's the Jane Austen action figure in this room. So <laughs> she. Um, but anyway, so it's just like there's so many. And as I discovered today, just today, one of your favorite writers and former guest on Genuine Chit Chat and Star Wars Comics and Canon, Claudia Gray, writes Jane Austen books. Hmm. She has Jane Austen murder mysteries, which is incredible. Which is the ch- hers are the children 
of the characters from the six books solve crimes together. And it's funny because she makes them all in a connected universe too. So she thought the same thing is like, wouldn't it be cool if these people, and I didn't know until today. That's pretty cool. I'm in good company. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so that was it. And so I, I just thought it would be fun. And so now I went from writing a book just for me, just in a room, hoping someone to pick it up to I've got five more books to write. So you are, I sold all six. You did. So I was going to ask about that. Is it was it, yeah. so you were doing an adaptation, but you're, am I right in thinking, although the Jane Austen novels, they're all individual, mm-hmm. the was Mansfield Park, that wasn't her first, was it? Was no, it, like, it was one of the last ones published. That's what I thought. So what is yeah. the, what's the, I'm trying to think because with Jane Austen, it's like, you know, she's got the six books. Um, isn't one of them, was it kind of unfinished? Was it persuasion? No, that's the seventh book, Sanderson. Oh, okay. And, the, and then there are two books that she wrote First, one is called uh, Love and Friendship, hmm. um, which was like letters. It's an epistolary novel. And they made a movie not that long ago with Kate Beckinsale. It was actually pretty good. Um, and then there's one called The Watsons. And that's kind of just sort of the inspiration for Emma, the novel Emma. There's hmm. a character called Emma in that who who is the main character there, too. Um, she's a lot of the same names. but So those two she wrote as a kid, um, The Watsons and Love and Friendship. And then... Um, Sanditon, she didn't finish. And I've read Sanditon. And it is just notes. The first few chapters are really good. And then it filters off. And they hired a different woman to write it. And it's actually just called Jane Austen and a lady. Because when Jane Austen published, it wasn't under her name. Because women weren't allowed to know who they were. Right. So it was just a lady. So that was Jane Austen and another lady, I think is what it was. And it's not great. It isn't fully realized. But the BBC and then, or ITV and the PBS in America actually did a TV adaptation of Sanderson recently. Mm. And that was actually, I think a great finish of the series. Like they gave it the life that the book couldn't give it. Mm. And what is it so, about Jane Austen that you, you love so much? Like, you know, I know you've told me personally before, yeah. cause I knew very, as someone who's British and I've now inspired by you, <laughs> I've been to her, her house. Well, yeah, yeah. W- there's a place nearby me where she lived for a while, but her yeah. main house is only like, I think it's an hour away so me and megan just one morning one morning on the weekend we're like why don't we just go to jane austen's house so we just went there and obviously said and you, you sent us one of those little books that lee has sitting on her desk yeah definitely so like yeah, uh, what is it about nice. jane austen that like that has struck a chord with you as a reader as an author when did you first read jane austen because obviously doing a ya modern day adaptation shared universe of jane austen you wouldn't be able to do that unless you're really into jane austen so what and sure. obviously you said you wrote this book kind of for yourself and then just Hopefully some pick it up, but it's more for you. What is it about Jane Austen that connects with you so much? Well, so to be fair, and so when I was younger, you know, I, I was a big reader, obviously. Read, read, read my whole life. I read the Chronicles of Narnia in kindergarten, which is when I was five. Um, I mean, I was just I'm a reader. It's what I love to do. And um, these books came along. My mom would just be like, hey, read a book. Here's a book. Here's a book. She didn't really care about age appropriateness. It was just like a book to keep me quiet. Shut up and read this book. And so that worked a lot. So, But there's this theory that there's three really good Jane Austen books and three that are just meh. And so the three that are really good, I believed the hype train. And they were just probably the three that Char had, my mother had, around the house. Because um, I know she didn't have all six of them around the house. So it was... Um, Pride and Prejudice, which is the one everybody knows best, Sense and Sensibility, and Emma are the three. So those are the three. I'd read those, you know, like in high school and liked them all. And I always thought Emma was hysterical. And then when Clueless happened, which is the greatest adaptation of Jane Austen in the history of ever, and Clueless totally captured the funniness and the silliness of Emma. And so what I always liked about Jane Austen is 
couple of things. The stories are always, the movies and the TV shows always make them seem like they're about love, but they're really about class. And as somebody who, and I've said this before, I didn't know I was poor until I went to college. Like, you know how you don't know your situation. You don't know what your life is like until you leave home. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I didn't know. Like, we were just working class. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was like. And then it wasn't like, and I wouldn't have thought, even in my little hometown, I, no one would probably think we're poor because that's how everybody's life is. But then you go to like this university. It's called Albion College in Michigan. And like kids were like writing checks to go there. Like their dads were just like, because there were some dumb people there. Like, and we're like, <laughs> I know how hard it was to get in here. How did you get here? And I remember one time having that conversation with a friend of mine, Dell and I were sitting there talking to some kid and he was really dumb and we were trying to help him with something. And Dell was really blunt. And he was just like, I don't know how you got in here. <laughs> He's like, how are you here? And the kid said, oh, my dad went here. He wrote a check. And that makes me a little sad because I feel like I got that great education. And this kid did not graduate. So that so writing the check will get you in, but it won't get you out, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So it's that kind of college. But anyway, so Jane Austen was always writing about that. All of her main characters are not, except for Emma, are not well-to-do. They either were well-to-do and they've fallen on hard times, or they're just like middle class. Like the, the Bennets are farmers, right? That's the whole thing at the end of Pride and Prejudice. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. The end of Pride Prejudice, when Darcy's auntie comes, Lady Catherine de Bergen yells at, at Lizzie and saying, like, how dare you steal my husband away from his first cousin who he was supposed to marry? Um, which is true. And she's like, I didn't do anything. He just likes me. And she's like, you're nobody. You come from nobody. And she's like, but my father's a gentleman, but he's a farmer. Mm. So it's not good enough. You know what I mean? Because it's not like that Mr. Bennett was out digging weeds, you know, but he owned a farm and he ran a farm and they were goats and they all had cow shit on their feet. You know what I mean? Like so that's so that that class thing in all of the books is always there. And in in Emma, even though Emma is rich, she's really interested in the people in town. Like she's got her nose in everybody's business. So that's why Clueless does such a good job. It's like, you know, you got to help those who are we got to help people. And so she wants to help Harriet and she wants to give her time and money and just be useful. And she thinks, but it's still like, she doesn't understand. Like she thinks I'm rich. And so just me showing up and giving you something must be good enough. And she is really doesn't get it. And that's what makes it really funny. So in addition to it being this really interesting conversation about class, it's also making fun of the thing that it is. So it was like Deadpool before Deadpool, (laughs) right? It's very satirical. She's making fun of romance books while being a romance book. She's making fun of the, you know, the rich and hoity-toity while writing about being them. And so I just thought that's subversive as fuck. And I loved it. So that was it. So it's just, I think she's funny and she's dry. She's very dry. And the, and again, the, the way that all of the adaptations always push the love and romance. So people think, is this a kissing book? Mm. And it is, but it's also making fun of kissing books. It's both things. And I just think that's super talented. And her, she can construct a sentence like nobody. There's very few writers who are as good at sentence structure as she is. And she knows how to write a run-on sentence grammatically. Like, it's not a run-on sentence. She knows how to write a long sentence with the right punctuation so that it's not a run-on. And you follow it. You're like, wow, there's 50 words in that sentence. And it didn't annoy me. Whereas, like, you read Melville... Or you read like William Faulkner and you're like, oh my God, there's 50 words in that sentence and I want you to stab me in the face. So there was just something about her skill 
um, her wit. And so that's how I got into her. And so then for years, it was just those books over and over. I read Emma. I used to teach Emma to my English literature students. They didn't love it, which upset me. Um, and then when Lee and I got together, you know, and she was the same thing, um, read these, whatever. And we just started talking about books we hadn't read and everybody's got blind spots. And so we realized we hadn't read the other three. And so then we did like together in what Kieran calls, um, one of our kids, Kieran calls us the world's smallest book club. And then once I realized them, the other three, Persuasion, Northanger Abbey and uh, Mansfield Park, it's like, wow, those are actually great. Actually, and I fell in love. Persuasion is still my favorite, but Mansfield Park was a masterpiece, I thought, and misunderstood. And I just was mad at myself for all the years I didn't read them. I could have been out there, you know, so it wasn't until adulthood, but then I've reread them all a million times, not a million times, but I've, I mean, I've read them all at least five times since then in the last, you know, 18 years. And I just, I, you know, it's like comfort. It's comfort. You know how you got comfort food or, you know, it's like putting on, you know, episode three for you, right? Like you can just be like, oh, all of watch. Star Wars is comfort for me. That's, that's yeah. how I escape the world. It's like, it's one of those things whenever I consume Star Wars content, it's like, like there are other books to read. It's like, yes, but I haven't read all the Star Wars ones yet. Yeah. And, and I sent you the Timothy Zahn. You did. And France. I'm so thankful for that because I, I basically had to whinge at Amazon because they really annoyed me because uh, I've, I've got Audible and they recommended me Heir to the Empire unabridged. And I was like, finally, because I listen to most legend stuff in audio. Yeah. And I, I read most High Republic stuff physically and, and Star Wars stuff. I, yeah. I listen to um, audiobook wise and they recommended me Heir to the Empire. And I was like, oh, it's there. And I click on it and it goes, not available in, your, in this region. I was like, you know what, Amazon? Fuck you. So I wrote yeah. to them and I was like, hey, this really bothered me because I've been waiting for this to come out for ages. And they it, it, they kept ignoring me for some reason. I wasn't like shitty in my uh, email or anything. And then I, I sent another one the other day and they're like, really sorry. We didn't get the other ones. Really, really sorry. Here's a free Amazon credit. And I was like, Whoa. Okay. Well, I was like, well, I got a free book out of it. But I was just like, and I sent them to you. You did. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, it's the lesson. This is what the things it bothers me so much about people is like with big publishers and stuff. It's like, yeah. we're not going to let it happen in this country. It's like, well, everyone's going to get it. You're just not going to make any money from it. You do realize everyone, when Game of Thrones first came out and it was coming out like weeks before in America than anywhere else, it became the most pirated show on television. Of course. As soon as they aired it, everywhere in the world at the same time, the piracy rate completely dropped because people of course. actually, I want to pay for the audiobook version of Air to the Empire. Disney, Lucasfilm, Pe Penguin, Random House Publishing, whoever it is, they won't allow it. So I have to get it from someone else. So <laughs> I'm out yeah, of interest. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I don't understand. I don't understand it. It is really frustrating, though. Especially with um, Disney at the helm, I'm, who's like the biggest company in the universe. You, you've got like, the money. Yeah. Sell it. Well, but I wonder, be, the only thing I can think of is because that was pre, like, like, but Timothy Zahn's writing for that. He's well, yeah, in I mean, canon now. Well, so it's not like they haven't worked out a deal. But also they've been yeah. recently doing the Essentials Legends collection, which they've been re-releasing, um, which I've got three of them here, which the Heir to the Empire trilogy was among the first ones. I can buy the you know new cover, new nicely done Essential Legends collection of Heir to the Empire. All the audiobooks are being re-released as Essential Legends collections. A couple of them are being re-recorded. The Darth Maul one was recorded by Sam Witwer, who voices Maul in the animated series. But Heir to the Empire is the only one, the only Legends thing, that you cannot get. You can even get these on Audible in the UK. You can get these really weird offshoot Legends books that aren't even essential Legends that are only like three hours long in audiobook form, read by just some random person who's not like, you know, mainly Jonathan Davis or Mark Thompson were the main ones. And you're just like, I, so I can listen to MedStar 1 
which is like a, a small book about like a, a random offshoot character, Barris Offy. And it's not a very popular book. It's it's well regarded. It's just not a lot of people read it. I can listen to that. But Heir to the Empire is, is among the only, the, the, the biggest Legends books that exist that basically kickstarted it. I read it. them when they came out. That's what I mean. Like, I've never read it because yeah. I'm like, it, it baffled me. But I, I want to ask you actually about Jim sure. Austin and stuff. Because obviously I listened to Sense and Sensibility um, because on Audible, if you get an Audible subscription, you get free access to quite a lot of stuff. There's a lot of Bill Bryson books and things uh, on there. But the set, they've got the six Jane Austen novels, and they're all read by a full voice cast. You've got like Emma Thompson and Billy Piper and loads of other cool people who uh, are characters in a lot of them. And so I'm slowly, I'll get through them all. Um, but with that kind of in mind, have you listened to some of the audio productions of uh, Jane Austen as well? Or have you been, not in a dicky way, but have you been a purist and have you only read Jane Austen once? Oh, no, no. Both. I listened to them a lot. The original audio ones I listened to were uh, by this woman called Flo Gibson. Hmm. And these were old, like when it was still called Books on Tape, the hmm. company. And um, and they're still the company is still called Books on Tape, believe it or not. But um, uh, they don't do as much. But yeah, so no, the Flo Gibson one, she read them all, and she sounds very like a school marm. Hmm. Uh, but she was good. Um, but the quality wasn't great. Um, I have not listened to the full cast ones because I don't have Audible, and those yeah. are Audible only, Audible exclusive. But Juliet Stevenson's that she's a good, amazing reader. She has done some. Um, there's a couple more. Hmm. The woman, and I can't think of her name right now, so people are going to yell at me. She's She played Mrs. Bennett in um, one version of Pride and Prejudice. I don't even remember. But she did an audio version of Pride and Prejudice, too. So I thought that was pretty clever. Um, so they like try to do things like that. Um, the person I would want, the dream, I'll throw this out in the universe, is uh, there's a British... A book narrator. She's called Fiona Hardingham, and she is my my favorite narrator in the history of the world. And um, I would love for her to do the Austin books, uh, like because she her her accent range is unbelievable. Like she and January Lavoie, there's like and January did um, you know January? Uh, but yeah, uh, funnily enough, this book here, which made people want to see, Last yeah. Shot by Daniel Jose Older. Right, right. Three people who do the audiobook, which is the author, Daniel Jose Older, Mark yeah. Thompson, and January Lavoie. So, yeah, yeah, you know her. Yeah, yeah. She did, and she did. Um, she's done loads of stuff. She's doing the Afro books. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's amazing. Um, there, there's just like a handful of people. Like she did the entire Diviner series, this fantasy book series um, by Libba Bray, and I didn't know. Like halfway through the first book, I was listening to it. I forgot that it was not a full cast. She's that good. Like she's a classically trained stage actor. But anyway, so but Fiona Hardingham is an amazing reader. Like she did. Um, there's a writer called Chuck Klosterman. He does essays, like snarky little essays. And he had a book philosophy called But What If We're Wrong? And he reads the introduction of the audiobook, and then he's like, and now I'm going to turn it over to Fiona Hardingham because I always sound better when I'm a British woman. And then she reads the rest of the book as him, though. So she doesn't like say Chuck. She says I. But it's his, so it's great. That's um, amazing. So, and then in his most recent book, he did that with Deanne Graham. So, I'm a big audio junkie, audiobook junkie. I'd say I'm like half and half audiobooks and book books because I read a lot of comic books, obviously, graphic novels. And so, those are the ones I read. And then, um, and there's like a book right now I'm reading. Um, it's called Please Kill Me. It's the history of punk rock. And so, that's a book, like it's a tome. It's, and there's pictures and stuff in there. And like with the Beastie yeah. Boys book, like you want that because there's pictures. Um, but so if it's like, so yeah, I mean, the last time I sat down and read Red Mansfield Park was when I was, so it was maybe like four years ago. 
um, when I was doing the thing for class. But before I started writing this, I listened to it again. And then, so for Sense and Sensibility, because that's the new one I'm working on, I actually had the book sitting here next to me for the longest time to like reference. But then um, I listened to that one too, the Juliet Stevenson one. So um, I don't care. Give me Jane Austen, however you want to give it to me. I'm I'm here for it. Like when the new when the new movies come out, that new Emma came out with uh, Anya Taylor Joy. Watch that. I'm here. Whatever. That's on my to watch list. I I, I do want to watch. It's very good. It's on freebie now. I think you can get it. Like. You don't think, even have people. Yeah. Yeah. I think over here, um, funny enough, Freebie, I only know about that because we've been watching Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen and Megan, mm. because Megan loves Gordon Ramsay and stuff. And, you know, I don't mind him, but I've got no, yeah. I've got the spark for cooking like Megan does. So, you know, we watch a lot right. of my crazy nerdy stuff. And then for Megan, we watch Bake Off, Drag Race, those sort of things. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, we should watch Hell's Kitchen because you've only seen bits and pieces, you know, the memes online, you're an idiot sandwich, yeah. things like that. And I was like, okay. So I just found it on um, Amazon, but it's on uh, free, Freebie. Yeah. And we start from Which is their one. free channel. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, I was like, oh, she was like, I'll just put one of them on. I was like, okay, I guess series one. She was like, you started from series one. I was like, I thought you wanted to watch Hell's Kitchen. She was like, but series one was ages ago. And it's it's freebie. So that's yeah. tangent of how I know about that. But with, with the Jane Austen books, um, obviously the books are, as you said, like hundreds of years old. When you, to make an adaptation, you know, obviously you're making like a young adult adaptation, but really Jane Austen's novels, they're not explicit or anything. So right. would... It's hard, like the term, I'm sure you will come across this and you've probably already come across this, the YA kind of genre. I know from mm-hmm. when I spoke to Claudia Gray and things, it's it's got a little bit of baggage, mainly from middle-aged white dudes um, who think, oh, it's for young adult, it's teen it's you know, teen stuff, it's like uh, teen pop. So I'm like, I'm not going to listen to that when actually YA, including Star Wars, has some of the best you know stories in there. So how would you class Jane, like, what demographic in air quotes would in a modern day is Jane Austen aimed towards? Is it an adult? And if so, how do you translate that in a writing style to a YA vague demographic without, you know, isolating non-YAs, if you know what I'm saying? Sure. So at the time when she wrote it, it was for adults because except for Kat, um, and again, Fanny, because we watch her grow up the whole time. So she's like five or six in the books when the book starts. But most of them are already in their 20s. Like Lizzie Bennett's 21, Emma's 21. I guess um, Marianne is 19 and Eleanor is 16. No, Eleanor's 16 and Marianne, Marianne is 19. Sorry, scrap. Eleanor is 19, Marianne is 16. Um, in Persuasion, which is my favorite, Anne Elliott's in her 20s. <gasps> Oh my goodness, one foot in the grave. Um, <laughs> it's true, though. It is. It's very true. Like, what a shock. Oh, no. Well, back so, then, especially, because, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Northanger Abbey, Cat is probably a teenager still. Cat, Cat Marlin. Um, she's great. Cat Marlin is such a, an amazing, fascinating character, and everybody, she's, I can't wait to write her book. I'm really excited. Um, but so it was at the time they were adults because they were out. So the term out, all phrases mean everything. So back in the day, back then, if a girl was out, she wasn't gay. She was available to be married. Hmm. And so in Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie's 21, Jane is 22, 23, Mary's 18, Kitty's 16, Lydia's 15. And so there's a there's a scene when when Lizzie's meeting Lady Catherine de Bourgh and she's saying about are you and you know how many of your sisters are out and she's like they're all out, and it was like <gasps> gasp like you're out before the old you're all of them are out before the oldest are married and it's this whole bullshit and that's kind of you know like what Taming of the Shrew is about I know you're not a big Shakespeare fan but that's kind of the whole thing the younger sister can't get married till the older sister does, 
And, you know, she's a bitch, and so nobody wants to marry her. She's a shrew, whatever. But Kate, <laughs> for three quarters of that book, play is my favorite character in Shakespeare. And then the final one bugs me a lot. But um, anyway, so th- that's just kind of how it was how it was done. And so at the time, they were adults, even though they were teenagers or, y- or young women. But, like, Jane Austen's very specifically focusing on women because women had no agency. And that was the whole point. And so what, were the, what was the whole goal is that women were being forced into marriage, essentially. And some of them desperately want to get married, like Kitty and Lydia. Some of them think it's absurd, like Mary Bennett and Emma. Um, Emma from Emma, go figure. And like even Eleanor in Sense Sensibility is not that interested. She almost like backs into falling in love with Edward because she's kind of like, we're both the same. We're both painful. Like, you know, I I I I just I debated with myself, and I didn't ultimately do this, but I debated with myself to have both Eleanor and Edward in my version be on the spectrum. Like just name it. Because I feel like when you read that book, they both are. They're both very painfully shy and they're very awkward and they don't understand social cues and and all those things. And, you know, so they were just, but they're both good people and they find each other and you're so happy for them. Like, I love that Eleanor and Edward get together. Um, But like, so I think people then, that was an adult. In today's parlance of of naming books and where they go and categorizing books, they'd be called new adults. And so that's a new thing. So when I used to teach young adult literature years ago... Young adult essentially meant 12 to 22. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was all the way through college. I figured in America, you're graduating college. If you're a traditional college student, you're graduating about 20, 21, 22. Right? Yeah, not dissimilar Start. from here as well. Yeah. 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 So that's when you guys, most people graduate uni around then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. you do the two years of college and then three years of uni. Yeah. Most people. Four years of high school and four years of yeah, university. Yeah. College is like you finish school at like 16 ish and then you go into college for two years to your 18 ish and then you go into university if you don't have a gap year for normally three years, but sometimes four, unless you're going right. to, you know being like a doctor or something like that but generally yes early 20s is normally by by the time you're in your early 20s in the uk you're either finishing education finishing an apprenticeship or you've been working you've been working because you've finished yeah right yeah exactly and so it's so you know so everybody's hitting adulthood around that time so there's this new so what they realize is that such, such a big gap like 12 to 22 come on you're not even the same person let alone no have the same so they've tried to rename some things so there's children's literature and then now there's like middle readers mm-hmm. which is more like fifth grade sixth grade seventh grade in america which is like 10 11 12 yeah and then and then they do tween so that's like 11 12 13 year olds and then true so like young adult is generally you're in high school and then new adult is when you're like in college or just like in your early 20s so it's kind of new adult is from maybe 18 to 25 young adult is now from like 13 to 19 and then tween and slash middle reader and then children so it's like that's how they've kind of reclassified things yeah because with me the main my point of reference is mainly the star wars books because in the high republic every wave they release three books they release a middle grade a young adult and an air quotes adult book and i've read all of them to be fair the middle grade books some of them are phenomenal like they're still so well written and so amazing and i was like i'll pick this up because i'm a completionist and i read them i was like these are really well written clever stories that they're just appropriate language wise and thematically 
that, you know, you're not having a graphic description of someone becoming a stoned husk and the last breath coming out and them collapsing into stone. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's just raining back a little Dialed bit. Dialed back, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's the only like, real difference with it. So that's yeah. how I've been the no, point of reference. I, and I actually just finished a middle, grid, middle reader book today that broke me. I'm like, I cry. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, yeah, David Levithan, who's one of the best American writers and uh, best you know writers in general. It, it was great. I think there's, I mean, some of my all-time favorite books are middle reader books. Like, I still love the Narnia books. You know, give, give. I mean, whatever you want to say about all of the religious overtones, those are there. I mean, those are middle reader books, and I read them as, as a young, young person. some of the first books I owned. I remember specifically They're so the, the classic, good. and it's, you know, Prince Caspian. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not... Is Prince Caspian the first one? It's not, no, no. Well, the, the first one was Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe in the original publication, and then the I've Magician's Nephew the was the that was it. The Magician's Nephew because I had the seven collection, six or seven. Yeah, yeah. And when we, he republished them, and he put because when I read them, Magician's Nephew was the middle book, so you just right. had to believe in Narnia for three books. Wow. Okay. And then wow. he finally explained you what Narnia was, and then he give you three books after. Uh, that was never a problem for me. And then he wanted to read once they were all published. Lewis republished them with the magician's nephew first. I see. Yeah, because I remember because when, especially when the films came out, um, I, I read the books. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, they start with Lion Witch, and I was like, okay, that's weird. That's and how then, the original publication. Yeah, was and then. then they did Prince Cat. There's three films I seem to recall, and they're in yeah. a weird they order. They skipped Horse and His Boy. Yeah, and I was like, I remember being like, I'm, I'm not a Narnia fanatic, and I can only very peripherally remember them, but I remember they were among the first books that I read when I was younger, because my brother had them, and he gave them to me, and I read Magician's Good Nephew. Good brother. Like, yeah. I was like, this is quite cool. I remember there's a scene in, I think it's Magician's Nephew, where there's just a lot of stuff in a loft, and I think that's how they get into Narnia. And yeah, it was it's just, always a different way. Yeah. yeah Sometimes yeah. it's like, like oh. a door on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, because I knew um, vaguely about Lion Witch, and I was like, oh, Magician's Nephew, that's quite a cool turn. And then I remember the films came out, and for some, this is when I was a teenager, so I was being a purist dick for no reason. And I was like, these films suck because they've done it the wrong order. It's like, but I can't even remember what the right yeah. order is. You know, like teenagers do being angsty sure. just for being angsty. <laughs> for, just for the sake of that. Yeah, no, but and that is that's that's very true. Um, but yeah, so that's so I think real Jane Austen, like Jane Austen, her books, I would classify them all as new adult, hmm. even though some of them are still teenagers, specifically Kat Norland. And this is this one, Mansfield, is a full coming of age because she's a little kid when it starts and she gets married at the end. Um so that is the that one is like that. Um, but mine, the way I adapted them into YA is I was like, okay, I'm going to make them all actual teenagers. Like I'm going to make them all, and and I, I'm straddling it because I'm setting it like Mansfield in my book is a university Mansfield Mansfield College, and it's essentially based on my universe, my college. I mean, like everything about it, like a lot of the descriptions, the way the campus is set up, a lot of the things are the same. Just because it's what you know, you write what you know. That's what everybody tells you. And so I was like, well, I love being in college. I love education. I'm a college professor. Write a love letter to education and have a conversation about class. And so in my in my book series, Mansfield College is this really rich hoity-toity college. But knowing that everybody can't afford to go, there's at five, it's like Wonka, every year five people around the world get a golden ticket and oh. they get to go for free. But they have to pay room and board. The tuition is paid for. And it's but you have to apply. It's not like you gotta buy a Wonka bar or a Mansfield bar. You gotta like <laughs> jump through hoops. Whereas everybody else, if their grades are good and they can afford it, they can get in. First come, first serve. So however many seats there are, fill up like this, because it's one of the most prestigious colleges in America. But five spots are open. And so in the very first one that I wrote, our main character Junior, she wins one. And then so does Maggie Dash Margaret Dashwood. 
from and that was wow. just a fun joke that I did oh. and then I wasn't planning on writing a whole series so they become friends and that was my first and the president of their university is Mary Bennett the middle sister from Pride and Prejudice and her advisor is the guy from the guy who it like meets Cat Norland and takes her to Northanger Abbey and, and does all that uh, Dr. Allen is in it and then Walt um Elliot from persuasion is in it and, and she meets him and then jane fairfax and emma so all these characters are there they all go to this college and so then i was like once i started the the series i was like okay so all roads lead to mansfield so the first book is the first book and then the second book that i'm working on now goes back four years and we meet maggie dashwood when she, on her 13th birthday and we find out what leads her to mansfield and then the third book will go back 20 years to a young mary bennett and find out how she goes to mansfield she's the president of mansfield college now and so then then books five and six or uh, four and five will be right after. So Jane Fairfax will follow her after and her whole drama with Emma. And then I'll do the Northanger Abbey one. And then the final one will be persuasion. Cause that's when they're adults. Right. So Walt, it'll be Walt's book. And it'll, that one will be almost exactly persuasion. That'll be the only one where the main character was a man mm-hmm. where all the rest will still be girls, but his aunt, Anne, who is my favorite of the heroine. She's my favorite Jane Austen heroine, Anne Elliot. She'll be in there. So he'll be with her and we'll kind of be reliving her life parallel to that. So that's the plan. So, but it all, all roads go to Mansfield college and that's going to be the crux of this series. Mm -hmm. And then if I want to, they, they've told me my publishers, if I want to write more. And so I thought it might be fun occasionally to do like a version of love and friendship, which are the epistolary novels where they're just writing letters. So like as a catch up, like if I wanted to, anytime I wanted to write Love and Friendship Volume One, and if you wanted to know where the characters were, like little short novella sequels where the characters can write letters to each other, write emails to each mm. other because it's modern day or text or whatever. I, I'm not there yet, but that's something I could do if I wished. Um, but it's it's just fun. So what I chose to do is bring them all down, put them at college, so it brought it 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 you know does that gap between high school and college. And because this one, Maggie's 13, 14, 15, 16, it's true YA. And I made junior young, like she graduated high school young. So she's still 16 going on 17 when she goes. That's right. And everybody can sing that if you want to, if you want to pause for a sound of music break, I am 16 going on 17. Um, and so she's going to college. And so what I wanted to do though, because I swear a lot as Mike knows, I've sworn already on this podcast, but I, all of my other books have all the swear words in them. Um, but I, in a, as an, as a way to honor Jane and I decided to not do that. So all the swearing happens off page. Like they swear people do stuff in, in this book. There's a, there's an, there's a, uh, pregnancy that happens. There's a teenage pregnancy in Mansfield, like Mansfield, but it all happens off screen. The, 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 so while you're reading it, so there's even one line in the new book I'm writing where it's like, uh, because it's not that not, because it's not that kind of book, we'll just leave it here, and you won't hear what Eleanor said. Like because Eleanor is mad as she's swearing at somebody, and so we just kind of walk away from her. Um, so I'm acknowledging that, and I'm sure Jane Austen swore like a sailor, but she didn't write it in her books because it wasn't appropriate. Yeah. So I thought to honor her. So the listing is tame, like the the categorization of my book is tame. I'd say accessible. Right, That's, but that is no, that is the actual care. Like when you go to like, oh, I see, I was just to, I was just to get being, the arc, it's like listed <laughs> yeah. as tame. Because okay, it's, yeah, because there's no like explicit content no, nothing. in that sort of regard. Well, so do you do it in a sense of almost like, um, so and so? Uh, oh, she's 
yelling profanities or she's cursing because mm-hmm. like c- to compare it once again because my main my main literary thing at the moment is obviously Star Wars Star Wars of course and obviously in Star Wars they make up swear words Carabas yeah. Stangfarrick that sort of thing but yeah. there are times where it's like so and so dropped this and I heard them curse in their native tongue you know that, those, that's it so it's like you don't have to write you know fucking big letters but you yeah. know so that it's a that's clever way I to do. write around it, right? I see. Yeah, I see. That, that's totally what I did, and so that is how I also am making it. So the Jane Austen purists won't read this and be like, "What's going on?" But then there'll also be some stuff. So like, you know, there's gay characters, and there's there are 100% gay characters in the Austen novels, but it's not they're not out. Like nobody knows. Or there's asexual characters, or there's bisexual characters, or there's you know androgynous characters, and so I because it's set in the modern day just add them in there but again it's not explicit it's not it just is these are just folks doing stuff uh people get divorced people have sex out of wedlock people get drunk at you know at a party but it's not because the things that jane did show an ankle you know like um she was pretty risque the things like her women her female character saying no to the men they were supposed to be betrothed to like in pride and prejudice Kitty or Lydia Bennett runs off. She's 15. She runs off with Wickham. They're clearly having sex. They're having a relationship. And then when they get caught, they get forced to get married. But they've been together for this whole, you know, illicit weekend. So we know what's going on. And also Wickham's a creep. I mean, she's 15, dude. But back then, again, 15, you know. Yeah, I will say over here in the UK, um, the the legal age for sex is sixteen. So yeah. I'm not condoning underage sex to clarify, but yeah, yeah. to add extra context from the British perspective, of course, it, it's it's being fi- if you're a fifteen year old sleeping with sixteen year old, it's still illegal, but it's not the same as in America. It's, right? There's a slightly different level, but even it, though but it was Wickham is ago. in his tw- he's a soldier. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I, he's I, not. He's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to do some tweaking as tw- well. But, but, I did I know, a lot. I know of you tweaking. said with. Yeah. I think it's sense and sensibility. Um, one of the sisters gets with. I, I can't remember the names, but it's one of the main sisters gets with that really nice older chap. Edward. But he, yeah, but he's oh no, like, yeah, yeah, Brandon, Colonel Brandon, Colonel Brandon. That was it, and he was like, but he's like ten or fifteen, twenty years older or something than. He's five years older or five years younger than their mom. That was it, yeah, because I was like, the age difference was quite a lot. Yeah. and I, I even 16 in, and 35. Yeah, because even in, in those times in that book, there's a mention of how she's like, he's way too old for me. And even mm-hmm. in those days, that's like a really odd thing to say because the age yeah. thing wasn't as much a big deal. So how do you how do you translate, you know, the core... Like, when you do an adaptation of a book, you know, if you're adapting it, if you're adapting Jane Austen to comics or a movie or things, there's certain things you have to adapt just because the the medium is different and other things can come along with that more organically. How do you, in essence, not quite rewrite Austen, but what? how do you decide which elements you want to keep in the adaptation and how do you decide what to change? Like, how how is this a Jane Austen adaptation and not you just writing stories with Jane Austen characters, if you see what I'm saying. Sure. I hear what you're saying. So the, the, it needs to end the same way, like, or at least you need to get close to there. The relationships I feel because you can't, the people need to end up with the people because the romance, while it isn't the point, it's part. So to me, that was important. So don't cut any characters. There are some TV and movie adaptations of Sense and Sensibility that Margaret 
Dashwood doesn't exist. She's they the write third, her out. Is she the she's the sister. youngest sister. Yep. And yep. she's the main character of my Which book. That's... I remember when I read, when I would listen to Sense and Sensibility, halfway yeah. through, they mentioned her. And I had to I had to Google the, the plot line. I think I went on Wikipedia and read yeah. through the, the basically, you know, the, the plot summary. Yeah. And I had to be like, where? I don't remember her name even being said. And I think right at the start, in like real, like an off comment, they yeah. mentioned another sister. But she has like, if if I might, next to no speaking lines. But she's always there. Yeah. <laughs> she's just there in the background. And so I thought it would be fun to retell the story from her perspective. So she's mm. the hero of our book, but everybody forgets about her all the time, as everybody does. So you just exactly nailed it. So I have to make sure I hit all the beats. So it was important to me that all the main characters were there. Um, and in Mansfield Park, there's a lot of, lot of main characters that Junior and her brother... In the book, it's Fanny and William. In this, it's Junior and Bill. They have to be there. They have to be really tight as siblings. So it's like, how do you make them as tight in the modern day as you do that? So I had them. She skips a grade. They're two years apart, but they're stuck together. I create this weird way that they actually live in their own house together, like at the back of their family property. So they have this weird um, relationship because they're also the like nannies of the family. They're the oldest of 10 children. So they're like in charge of everything. So they're like brother and sister who are also like aunt and uncle to their own siblings who are also like nannies to their parents and they just got shit to do. Right. So like, I need to find a way to connect them. I need to make sure that all the, the other characters are there and that their personalities are very similar. I don't want to change their personalities. So like Fanny Price is good. The problem with the Mansfield park TV adaptations or movie adaptations they there's only been a couple that I've seen and neither of them I think are very good because they go out of their way because they're like Fanny Price is super boring we got to give her something clever to say I'm like no you don't so I make her very self depreciating like there's one time where she tries to do something sarcastic and then she feels terrible and guilt ridden <laughs> for for saying it and then she has like this whole like anxiety attack in front of somebody she's like I didn't mean I'm so sorry like <laughs> to just keep their personalities the same so like. In that book, Edmund is his name, so I call him Ed. He's still like in the original book. He ends up being a minister, so he's a re- like he studies history and religion. He doesn't have to be a minister. Like Norris, the the um, the auntie from Mansfield Park, she's the da- she's the wife of the minister. I just made her the minister just because I can cut that. I can don't Mister Norris. I don't need him. He's actually dead. The whole book, so you don't need him. So I just cut him. Why have him? So, like, if you're going to cut somebody, they're not essential to the plot. But, like, even in Mansfield Park, the younger, the oldest son, Tom, his best friend is called Yates, John Yates. He just goes by Yates, his last name. And he's around. And they're actors. And they do all this fun, artsy stuff together. And so I've always thought they were a couple, but that wasn't allowed. So I was like, I'm just going to make them a couple. So in my book, they're a couple, but they're still both there. So, like, while you can change the ages and sense of sensibility, I've obviously made Brandon their age. Um, and he's not, he's not a Colonel. Um, his mom is Mm, right. So I just was like, his mom's a a pilot in the Royal air force and he's not, but he wants to be a vet. So he's still a vet. So I just, cause he's a veteran. He's Colonel brand is not active duty anymore in sense sensibility. So I just acknowledge that, but I give them their same personalities. They still, so that's the number one key is don't change them. And that's why clueless works so much is because Cher and Emma have the same exact personality mm-hmm. and George and Paul Rudd 
<laughs> he could just be Paul Rudd. It's fine. <laughs> okay, George and Paul Rudd have the same personalities, right? They have this. They they have this affinity for Emma for Cher. They they are you know they're the older brother, but they're not really by blood. But they they seem like a brotherly figure. They're a little bit older. They're a lot wiser. They chastise her sometimes, but it's only because they see her potential. All that stuff is all there. So like the reason that works is because their their personalities. You keep those. So I made sure I did that. And then the rest of the story, I kind of let it write itself. I talk to my characters. And so I kind of let them take over. Um, but as long as I know who they're going to be. And so before I start writing, I read it again. I take notes. I think about them. I talk to them. Um, but I know who they already are. And I think if you're going to do an adaptation and you're going to change the personality traits, that's a problem. Even in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the characters still have the same personality. And that's the most important thing. Like... Lizzie Bennett and Darcy are still Lizzie Bennett and Darcy. They just kill zombies. <laughs> well, yeah, it's right? almost like the, the way I loosely interpret this is, is almost like reincarnation in a way where yeah. it's like the core values of the person is the same. It's just elements of the environment are different, but the story beats are continuing. You know, history is bound to repeat itself. So you've almost got this thing where it's like, this is almost like, yeah, they are the same characters in air quotes, but yeah. also you could almost argue, you could read the Jane Austen novels and then yours, and they're almost reincarnated versions. Like, I like thinking, when when you mentioned uh, when you got the book deal and when you were talking about, you know, Jane Austen, I know you're, is Austenite? Is that the name of someone who's a- Austen, yeah. Austenite? Yeah, cool. Um, So I was like, I know you're- Janeite. Big- it's a Janeite. Jane, I prefer Austenite, but yeah, it's yeah. Janeite. Is well, there was a short story written called Janeites. Oh, okay, and it's about Jane Austen fans. I like oh, it's an old, old story. So Janeite is the turn. Yeah, maybe Austenites are people who really like the Austin Powers movies. I don't know. That'd but, be fine uh, too. And yeah, well, I don't, maybe. I don't like those movies very much. So for <laughs> oh, me, okay. it would be, it'd be very different. But in any <laughs> case, the uh, Janeite Austenites, um, the. With people who enjoy Jane Austen, you know, when, when you first told me about it, one of the things I was most excited for was because I know you're so passionate about Jane Austen. I was like, I want to get more into it. It's because of you that I end up listening to the Sense and Sensibility that um, makes me so happy. audiobook. And so I will eventually, and that's why we went to the Jane Austen house, because we're like, well, Tony loves her so much. We want to go there and get him a little souvenir, but also I want to learn more about Jane Austen. And because she's such a, she's like the ultimate underground, but not underground figure. It's, it's like, it's one of those weird things where everyone loosely knows who Jane Austen is. Everyone's heard of Pride and Prejudice and then a lot of people have heard of Sense and Sensibility and then Emma. But as you say, her other three novels a lot of people haven't heard of and almost certainly haven't read. And for someone who's so important in history but isn't always said in the same breath as people like Shakespeare and elements like that. I know she's not quite as influential as Shakespeare, few are. But when you said you got this book deal, my first thing was I was so excited for you because you will get a whole new generation of people, not just young people, like as in people like myself, into Jane Austen via your novels. And so with that, like, has Lee, I assume Lee's read and assisted, has she, like, when you were bouncing ideas off her, because she was such, the reason I asked if it was Jane Knight or Austen Knight or whatever, was because yeah. I was going to refer to Lee as an Austen Knight or a Jane Knight. Because you're, Jane Knight too, yeah. because you're both such big Jane Knights, like, what, did you have to at some point be like, I feel like this character would do this thing, Lee, does that sound right to you as well? Like, were you bouncing things off Lee as well? Oh, yeah, or? we talk. Yeah. yeah, we talk all the time. So she's always the first reader, yeah. of course, but she also listens to it. So, like, with this book, she read it as I was writing it. Um, she's such a good editor. Like, mm. part of her problem is she can't... Like, because the first draft is always a mess. There's typos and shit in there. So she, she always wants to noodle 
which is good <laughs> for me because I need those. You know, you, we're all our own worst editors. We all miss our own typos and stuff. So she would do that and then not really think too much about the plot. And she did that with the will too. She was reading it as it, as it came along. Uh, but I always, everything I write, I'm always talking to her about it. And so, yeah, we, we talk through the characters or I'll say like, oh, here's what I think I'm going to do. Like there's a character called Lucy Steele. Um, who's kind of a dumb dumb from Sense of Sensibility, and um, and I feel but like my heart breaks for her because she doesn't know that she's a dumb dumb, and that <laughs> is too bad. Um, and that's in both like so I need to make sure she's a dummy, but I also don't want to be mean about it. But some people are going to be mean to her, and we have to address that because that's how people are when there's there's people who are just walking dumb and they're too totally like clueless. Their hearts are good, but they're just they say you know we all know that person who doesn't genuinely unaware not a bad person but just really dumb dumb like man i don't know how you're going to function in the world so that's lucy Steele. so as i was creating her i was trying to figure out like what's my way in in this modern setting so i was dinking around and i was kind of writing around it getting for her to be there and finally i was like okay she's been she's watched bad rom-coms not good rom-coms bad rom-coms bad rom-coms where the girls have to play dumb and just say yes to the boys and do whatever and do all these things. So that's who she has created herself to be. Cause she's like totally Randy. She really wants a boy <laughs> and that is her whole thing. And I'm giving her that agency. Cause I'm okay with that. Like there are sexual beings. That's great. So she's like, what do I do to get a man? I just don't know. And she doesn't know. And their mom is gone. It's like they're being raised by their dad. And so he's like a math, math. And there's a whole conversation about math versus math in my book. Too, oh, nice. The Steels are Americans. So when they come over and Maggie says, what does your dad do? And she says, oh, he, he's a professor. And she's like, oh, and what? And she says math. And she's like, we say maths here. And that like makes Lucy's brain fall out. She's <laughs> like, and so it, and Maggie talks around it and it's fine. And it's a fun scene and I'm proud of it. But um. Yeah. So I just, so then I realized that's why I said it to Lee one day at dinner. I'm like, I think this is what I'm going to do with Lucy. And this is how I'm going to do it. She's like, oh, that works. And so, but if she was like, "Mm," so then I would, if she makes an "Mm," face, then that means it isn't going to work. If it's not going to work on her, it's not going to work on anybody. Well, yeah. She's the toughest crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's it's one of those, when you make an adaptation, you want to get the new generation and people who've never been near Austin before, but it's when you have, when you create your own new fiction with new characters and stuff, it's a clean canvas, but the challenge is yeah. getting people through the door. You know, you could be the greatest writer in the history of mankind, but if you've got no publisher and no way to get your book out, no one's going to read it. When you've got a connection, be it Star Wars, Jane Austen, or, or Shakespeare adaptation, shout out to your uh, conversation with Spider-Dan about the five uh, Shakespeare. Great. Yeah. They're really fun to listen to. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. But um, obviously, when you've got a connection, you've it's a, it's a dub, not quite a double-edged sword, but it's... It's a catch-22 in certain ways because you've got the the jumping-off point that if people search for Jane Austen on the internet or people want to find more Jane Austen content and they will come across your stuff, it's like, cool, you'll probably have more people getting through the door than if you created your own original fiction. But at the same time, you've also got the baggage. you know, And that's, in my opinion, the worst things about Star Wars fans is because they've got all this baggage of 40-ish years of content and they think they know what they want when they don't. But with Jane Agreed. Austen, it's like, yeah, that's the, they're the worst Star Wars fans, and they everyone thinks. And they we are Star Wars fans. And, and I, I, yeah. my cousin and I were just talking about like the worst fans in the world, Star Wars fans. 100%. My earliest memory, as I told you, is seeing Star Wars with him. We were just talking about how 
like, how did we, how you were like, he's like, how did we come through it? Like, how come we're okay? How can we still love everything? And we're not just big turds about it. I don't know. But it's it's, true. it's, it's a tough one. But like, how, it is. like, with, with it being an Austin thing, it's, it's thing where, you know, kudos to you for being able to write this. And obviously, it's a good, not only because I have faith in you as a writer, but obviously, because it's being published, obviously, it is good. But like, that having to straddle the line of being original enough, what that for new people is going to be exciting, but also not being disrespectful to the core content. And it's this, this odd balancing act. And one element of that I want to tackle and ask you about is the whole American English thing. Because sure. obviously, Jane Austen is British uh, or English, however one wants to put it. And obviously, when especially when I when I was listening, especially audio wise, when I was listening to Sense and Sensibility, and you've got this whole voice cast, and they're all very well spoken. You know, some and people think Emma like, Thompson, well, yeah, queen. exactly, and she is yes. an absolute queen, and um, she's one of the very few substantially older women than me that I just fancy because she's just so amazing and so she's amazing. She speaks is just incredible but like some people wrongly think that i'm well-spoken and I, i'm not a well-spoken british individual i'm moderate if that but when i listened to sense and sensibility i was like this makes me want to talk better this i was i was listening i was like this feels like a fantasy world there are people who speak like that in in it's kind of like the, the queen's english you know mainly rich people speak like that um, when they can but it's the kind of thing it's it's so english so english especially because austin's written you know 200 years ago the way she writes language evolves and things so how is it that, like are all obviously where they all center around an american college how is it that you we've already spoken about translating it to loosely ya and making it in the modern times and keeping core values but the biggest thing for me i was querying is from in quintessential like, pure englishness to Americanness and other characters that are from Jane Austen are some of them English some of them American how, how did you do that balancing act because I know you asked myself and some of the other members of Comics Emotion and other people about uh, English colloquialisms and things like how did you do that so again I didn't know I was writing a whole series when I made Maggie Dashwood British to be yeah. fair um, I just wanted that I just was like that'll be fun um, and so <laughs> I, I said it in America because that's where I'm from. And so I was like, okay, who would the who would the prices be? They'd be these people, and this is what they are, and this is where they'd live. They live in a town called Unincorporated Nowhere. And um and 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 that's where they're from. They're like these southern folk. And uh they've got a very specific thing about them. And so I wanted Junior to be like a poor southern girl so that when she goes up to this rich northern school, she's gonna be more of a more of a sore thumb. Because you and I have discussed that North and South is flipped in England. Yeah. That's from the United States. But it's the same idea. Region matters. Like, we're awful. People are so judgmental. So I just decided to set it in America because that's what I knew. And then once I realized, oh, shit, I sold the whole story. And I got to decide where everybody's from. So I did, because Maggie was in the book from England, I couldn't unring that bell. I could have. I had time. It was like, it'll be funsies. So I wanted one character to really, truly lean into that. Now, I'm an American, so the narration is written in American English. When Maggie speaks, she speaks in British English. She says mum, and she says, you know, A&E instead of emergency room. She says the thing. So I'm learning all this stuff. Like you guys say, I'm in fifth form or whatever, and we say like seventh grade or whatever. So like I'm learning. <laughs> Jack sent me like a whole list, you know, because he teaches that. So he's like, here's the things. So when I ask different people different stuff, because, you know, when I need a question about university, I ask, you know, I ask Megan because she's the person who I know who's been there the most recently. And so it's like, I need to know about 
um, one of the, like my version of Marianne Dashwood is going to study drama. So I was like, Spider-Dan, tell me all the words. And he's like, these are the words. And so then the words that are in the book and the word Spider-Dan said, this is how we say we're studying drama. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, so that was it. So it's like, ask people, look things up. The, the internet exists. So I ask, um, but I prefer to ask you guys first. Um, you know, I've got a few links to a few key resources for like how like local government works over there. Because that matters. Because they're because yeah, you asked town. me before, and I was like, even I only just know yeah, the basics. Right. I could but, I, but it anyone. was enough to get by, you know. <laughs> so those things really matter. And so, like, the problem is too, because I set the the letter from the first book, the opening of the first book. You see that Maggie's invitation for the Mansfield gift goes to a, it says a, a goes to Exeter. So I was like, all right, well, I got to set this somewhere near Exeter, but I don't want like Barton Park, which is where the most of the book takes place, isn't real. So I make like small town out near Exeter. And so then I can just get to Exeter. So it's like when I need to get there, I can get there. So like Eleanor goes to college there and Edward gets his graduate degree there. And like, you know, it's just easy enough to just have people be there. And then we're barely there. I don't have to know much about it because you're not there. You're really at this fictional place. So, so all of that say, that's how that is. So the only character who's going to be from England is Maggie. Um, and obviously her whole family, but I've even added some Americans to that because I think that's, I need to get Maggie to America somehow. She's got to know some Americans for her to find out about Mansfield college. Like most small colleges in the middle of nowhere aren't going to be like, they're not going to come up on an internet search. She's got to meet somebody. Right. So I did that. And then um, what I do to make it like a Janie thing, one thing Jane Austen does is she is, as Jack calls it, uh, I have an avuncular narrator. And avuncular means like an uncle-like who's like fun and talking directly to you. So I've called my narrator the cheeky narrator who speaks directly to the audience. Jane Austen does it all the time. She's less obvious, but there'll be parts of the book you're reading and you're like, oh, this is her talking to me and these long snarky sentences. So I did that. And by breaking that fourth wall and writing, and sometimes I'll say countenance, and sometimes I'll just throw some Austin-y old-timey words in there in my um, narration, that helps. Lots of Jane Austen books, the dialogue, it's light on dialogue, long on commentary. So I made sure I did that. That's a very thick plotting British novel thing to do. Um, I mean, this my book's almost a hundred thousand words. Mansfield Park's like one hundred and sixty-five thousand words. Wow. So I cut a lot, but I still needed to be like, how do I get those things? So to keep it British, I tried to mimic her style, but while writing in American English still, because that was very like my editor Jen. She was like, "We're not doing that." Um, she just said, "No, we're not going to have you write in different." That's not happening. There's a young adult writer um, called Justine Labellestier. She is from Australia. And one of her books is called The Magic or Madness series. Part of it takes place in Sydney and part of it takes place in New York. When you're in New York, it's written in American English. And when you're in Sydney, it's in Australian English. But everything, wow. the narration, the speaking, it is the most amazing thing. And I was like, it can be done. And, I'm also, and Lee was like, but you're not Justine. You don't have her name. They're not going to let you do that. That's a, And so... And it was a good call. And then my editor was like, no, you're not doing that. So they are allowing me to have the people speak in their accents and do those things. So I just wanted to capture her tone and her pacing. And it is a, it's sick. Um, 
you know, like there'll be two pages without any dialogue, but there'll still be lots of commentary. I'll talk about, like you said, talk about the cursing or talk about a look somebody gave. Um, so that's what I tried to do. I also, what Jane doesn't do a lot of describing of people. She mm-hmm. describes people's personalities. So the reason my cover looks the way that it looks is that all of them will look like this. Hopefully Jen Kostick, who did this, will do my cover, all six covers. Those, it's amazing. Um, is that I want anyone to look at it and say, I could be the main character. Like Jane Austen heroines are all white girls mm-hmm. because they were. In yeah. the books, but they're not going descri- England. Yeah, it's like- right. They weren't described that way, but that's how they're always played, except for like Bride and Prejudice when it takes place in a different country. That, of course, you know, like, like that. But I'm deliberately, I never, the race of any of the main of the six heroines is never going to be discussed. Now, the race of some other characters, like Colonel Brandon, is African American. Um, well, he's African Canadian and African. You guys don't say that. You guys just say black. We're the weirdos who do that, who say African American. You <laughs> well, guys don't. Americans say. are quite obsessed with, you know, the, the 23andMe, like who, where your heritage yeah, yeah. is. You, generally, Americans are over here. So, where are you from? Like, what, what's your heritage? Like, none of us. I mean, England is just an amalgamation of just. We like, don't give a shit. We rummage through yeah, the yeah. crumbs of like, a language, is rummaging through the pockets of other countries and other nations and just shoving it into our weird sandwich yeah. of language. Like, <laughs> same with our entire culture. It's like, yeah, we were taken over by the Saxons and Vikings and then the Romans and then this and then that. So, us, we're just like, where are you from? <laughs> Whereas Americans are quite specific yeah. about it, which right. is. Right. And so for. Yeah. Right. It's so anyway, so Brandon, my Brandon, um, his 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 dad's Canadian, his mom's British, but he's black. It's very clear that he is. You don't know what color the, you know, what race the um the dashwoods are. You don't know what race the prices are. I'm gonna be very specifically vague about that on purpose because I want everybody, anybody can read it, male, female, non-binary doesn't matter that you could be the heroine of this. So I also am deliberate about that. Like I didn't want the cover to be like another white girl. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be a girl going somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like a person. So that was important to me too. Cause I think Jane would like that. I think there's a lot of things. I, my whole thing is I want to make Lee proud and I want to make Jane proud. And that's what I want to do with these. Like, I think Jane, like there's, I think Jane Austen would love Emma. Would love Clueless. Would love Clueless. I think she would think that is amazing. So that's kind of it too, is that, so I'm trying to, I can never write like her. But I'm trying to write like her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I can't be her. I can't write in, you know, that, you know, ni- early 19th century British English, but I can <laughs> write with that tone. So that's what I'm trying. To. You wouldn't, because if you wrote like Jane did back then, it wouldn't really be an adaptation. It would be just right. it would, kind of it would, you writing right. her and stuff. That's part of the problem is, is you've acknowledged it. You're no dummy. Just acknowledge it. Just Davies. You know, you guys read books. You guys are thinkers. But the language, it is inaccessible at times. Yeah, yeah. I would always recommend everybody tries to start with Emma or Pride and Prejudice, which I get, but you should actually start with Northanger Abbey. Right. Because it's shorter. It's more direct and you get into the rhythm or do what you did and listen to an audio book first. That really uh, helps. Especially with the full, with it really does. Stuff like you, that. Yeah. The really language is different. It's the same thing, thing with Shakespeare. It's the same thing with anything. And it doesn't matter. Even like, even Gatsby, like I'm teaching great Gatsby in a class and I t- I'm teaching Kate Chopin's The Awakening in a class and students struggle with, and those are American written in the last, you know, 100, 150 years. And people are still like, that's just hard to get through. 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, right, but they're, they're like, this book takes place in New Orleans. You're in Michigan. You should be able to handle it. And they're like, ah. <laughs> and it's because just language evolves. It never stops evolving. So I do use lots of modern language, but I still write it in a, in a kind of older sensibility. And it's just, it's just trying, again, trying to honor the thing without being the thing. Right. Cause you know, like it's not a remake. It is an adaptation. My editor, Jen said, lots of Jens involved in this book, but my editor, Jen said, she's like, it's, it's an Austin, but it's not like you're, it's, it's, to me, this is a love letter. All this whole series is a love letter to her. I'm going to keep the beats the same. I'm going to keep the character traits the same. I'm going to tell the story, especially since the middle five books, the middle four books are not the main character of the book mm-hmm. of the Austin book. Isn't the main character of my book, right? This only Mansfield and Northanger as the main character of the original book going to be the main character, mm-hmm. but they're all in there. Like, and so I'll be like in sense of sensibility. I have to stop midway I'd be like well we need to know what's going on because while it's maggie's story this affects her because these are her sisters so we're going to talk about this for a second and i just say that as the narrator like we'll come back don't worry dear reader and i call the reader dear reader capital d capital r like right at you saying don't worry it's okay um and i try to make it vague like when it is i don't put any dates it's now instagram exists the internet exists they drive a range rover like the music is the music. The music is really important to me. And um, so obviously I write soundtrack. Like I have music that I listen to. Junior in Welcome to Mansfield loves classic rock. Mm. It's the only real connection she has with her dad. So you think that that's the whole thing. She is her, She and her dad have a bad relationship. But they both, she loves his music. So there's classic rock. So there's this young 16-year-old, like petite little girl. She's a girl. I'm very clear at the beginning. She's 16. She's still a girl. And she like loves Van Halen. You know, she loves the band Tesla. She loves Joan Jett. Like she loves classic rock. Mm-hmm. Because she does. So those those songs, I listened to those songs while I wrote the book. Yeah, because it's one of those with, I was thinking back to something you said slightly earlier with the characters and lack of describing them, which is, it's, that's one of the main ways that Star Wars is different from a lot of other literature, because with Star Wars, it's all about detail and lore. And if a character is a certain species, they, they kind of, you know, if a Wookiee is a Wookiee. Gotta say. You, you oh, I mean? yeah, yeah. It could be a short Wookiee or your fur can be a different yeah. color, but a Wookiee is a Wookiee. And that's kind of how you differentiate. But with a lot of the other books that I yeah. um, have read or audiobooks I've been listening to and things, I do like it a lot when you, it's probably one of the things that causes the most amount of friction with film adaptations just from the start is that's not how I envisioned them in my mind, but it never is because however the director or maybe even the concept artist or casting director collaboration. Well, yeah, even that it's or makeup artist, depending on if it's, you know, if it's sci-fi fantasy, whatever. And it's one of those where I think you have to capture the essence of a person. You don't need to describe this, unless it's relevant to the story. This person has blue eyes or brown hair or whatever. But if it's like when they walk, they slouch, they hold themselves high. They hold their chin high. They talk with their mouth open. You know, they slur a little bit when they're drunk. Like there's little, key elements i think that a lot of people i think with being a writer being an author because linking in as well with what you said you speak to your characters a lot of over the time of doing this podcast a lot of the authors they think they're mad by saying they talk to their characters but i think i've had more authors confess they talk to their characters than don't and i think the ones that don't probably do but they just didn't say it on the show they do it's yeah you got you, you know you have to it's kind of that that thing of how do you connect? How do you get into the mind of a character, whether or not you've created them or you're doing an adaptation? You still have to 
you have to know what they would do in a certain situation and therefore you have to put yourself you have to be empathetic and things and i think a lot of that is learning um and putting into words what your subconscious already processes like it's it's one of those things which when people say you know don't be judgmental of people you know generally try not to be a judgy dick but what people when they say that kind of thing my mind immediately goes to pessimistically is like okay but if someone's walking towards you in the street it's dark it's nighttime you're by yourself and they are looking at you in a certain way and walking in a certain way you will consciously or subconsciously think maybe i'm in danger now i don't know you know depending on not necessarily i'm talking about race or anything like that i'm just saying like if someone has a certain body language when they're coming towards you you know if your partner or friend is in a bad mood before they tell you you get a vibe you know you you get that and you really have to be able to look into what your subconscious is processing like consciously you have to kind of bring it to the front of something that your brain is already kind of half figured out you have to be able to do that and i think with what you're describing is for certain characters like yeah i'm not going to describe this person in how they look but you have to do how they carry themselves and then you will your brain will just fill in the gaps and that's one of the beauties of reading and that's one of the things i actually like a lot more about reading a lot of these books than the comics because i I love obviously comics as well but when you read i feel a lot more immersed in a book than in a comic even though you'd think the opposite because a comic you get so much more information and you can just look at a scene and oh that looks amazing the ship's flying around but in your mind the the author's job is to take you on a journey but to give you enough information so you follow the plot but not too much information so that you can fill in the gaps because that's one of the issues with uh tolkien is like you know lord of the rings books my dad always used to say he he was a massive massive reader he's in fact written two books that are erotic crime thrillers (laughs) that um yeah it's it's one of those and he he said you know the only films he thinks were better than the books was Lord of the Rings, not because the books are bad, but he's like, because of when Tolkien was writing in the uh, 20s, 30s, you know, he was like, before media was such a big thing, you've got two pages or three pages describing what a cliff looks like. And in the time, that was fine. But nowadays, it's slightly harder to read those kind of things in certain respects, because now that we've absorbed so much of the content and we can fill in those gaps so i think that's the tricky thing is when you write especially an adaptation where people a lot of people who are jay knights have already got this understanding of what they think the characters are you have to guide them without telling them if you know what i mean yeah i agree and and again right if you're a jay knight you know how fanny is going to be you know how the villains of the piece are going to be um no i'm going to probably make some people mad because, like I said, I've 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 taken what I think are the key personality traits, and so some people I've made like more villainous than they than they probably you think they are. You listener, you reader are mm. think they are. I think Marianne Dashwood is an asshole, so I okay. made her one. Like I don't. I think she's the worst. She's indecisive. She's a fool. She she's does the dumb things. The she's sister. the young one. She's the middle one. She's middle the one. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I thought I was thinking yeah, of the yeah. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's the Kate Winslet played her in the Emma Thompson movie, and she's great. By the way, what a great performance! I mean, Kate Winslet. I mean, come on. But like, she, I think she was like, yeah, she's kind of a dick, and I'm going to play her that way. And I, so I, I, I think that, and Emma's a jerk. Like Emma's. So when I get to that book, like it's from Jane's perspective, and Jane's like, Emma, what's your problem with me? Like, because Emma's obsessed with Jane Fairfax. She's like Jane Fairfax. Jane Fairfax. And Jane doesn't even really know she exists. And so I'm going to write my version of Emma from that perspective of like, everything's coming at her. And she's like, like, 
is going on? So, but I'm not like making them terrible people, but I'm just making them be, you know, so it is true. So you're trying to guide them that way, but there's still going to be certain things like Marianne is very vain. So you always know by just saying Marianne is vain, that tells you what how she she's not going to leave the house unless XYZ is already done. Yeah, right, ha- having say- done all the insinuation of makeup, th- those kind of insinuations, but you as a reader can decide what level How, of those. What the level exactly. exactly? Right, yeah. And so, like Norris in my in Mansfield Park, and this is Norris is the kind of villain. There's two villains in Mansfield Park: Lady Norris and Mary Crawford, and um, and Mary and Hank Crawford. And I made them twins. They're not twins in the original one, but I'm like short. I need them to both be here at the same time, so they're going to be twins, and that's going to be that. We're going to be done. Um. And, no, and again, people are, you can at me about that. Again, I've made Colonel Brandon age appropriate because he's still going to end up with Marianne at the end. And I don't want her at six because she's going to be a little bit older as time goes on. She, I don't want a 19 year old with a 40 year old. I'm not writing that book. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. So she, he can be 22 and I'll be fine with that. You know, so uh, there's, that's a fine age difference. I'm here for that. So, um, Anyway, so like I've done those little things, but like Norris is Norris does mean hurtful things in Mansfield Park. So I've made her vid- very severe, and I describe her in a severe way, and the way she sits and the way she moves. And I do say she has straight black hair. Doesn't don't say if it's a wig. I don't say if it's dyed. I don't say if it's all you know is she has straight black hair. That's that's her only, and she's very like she's rail thin and she's rigid and she's angry, and so then. What does her face look like? She's probably always scowling and I think whatever. Like a crow. I, my, immediately, I'm like bird-like, like crow kind of. Like, yeah, this that, is my own interpretation. Immediately, I just went, okay, like yeah. a bird, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, and, and she is. She is picky. She definitely does that. So, um, yeah. So, it's like, I agree. That's but My whole thing is just make it accessible. And I feel like there's so many people that I know who, when they find out I love Jane Austen, they're like, okay, and I won't shut the fuck up about it. And so, they're like, okay, I'll try. And then they can't. And they're like, oh, my God, that's impenetrable so my hope is too if you read this if you read welcome to mansfield and then you read that other dash of a girl and you read the austin chronicles then you, if you've never read them you could go and read it and be like okay now i can get now i get what i'm looking for i get an essence of this and i can do it and i'm not like a classics illustrated type thing but like that like when i was a kid you could read read the classic illustrated comics and those helped you or there'd be like abridged versions of moby dick without all the nonsense about the whiteness of the whale because you're six and you don't care but reading that and even when you're 30 and you read that you're like i don't care still (laughs) (laughs) yeah and melville's quite the writer but boy um and faulkner the same thing so it's like the idea being i can tell this story i'm i think the original writing is brilliant i think it's all five-star writing i think everybody should read it but i also know we our brains have evolved like you said you described it perfectly with Tolkien. I love Tolkien. I still read. I reread the Lord of the Rings series like two winters ago. I just read um, uh, uh, Born Peace this winter break. Hmm. Um, that's dense. There's a lot going on in there. That could have been cut down. That is like a young adult novel, by the way. There's a young adult novel in War and Peace, believe it or not. Um, but we also have to have like 500 pages describing Napoleon's bad attitude. And I'm like, okay, I guess we need that. Like Napoleon's a character in this book and he's kind of a turd. So, but I also get why people don't want to read it. it it's daunting. You're like clunk, 1200 pages. That seems like I don't want to read that. And I get it. But, but to me, 
So if you can get through this and you like it, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Then maybe you'll give Mansfield Park a second look. Or people who are Janites, people who do, they don't even have to be Janites, but they're just like, like Jane Austen. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Or they've only read the big three and they're like, I've always heard Mansfield Park, whatever. Or I saw the Jane Austen book club or read Jane Austen book club because it's a book and a movie and they make fun of Fanny Price. So I'm just, I don't care. Um, and I get it. But at the same time, so my hope is that people will do this and and just that's all it is for me is like I'm writing love letters to things I love. Um, you know, I, I teach literature and I teach this stuff. It's part of my life, too. And I always have said there's just a handful of stories and we're all just retelling them. Yeah. Right. This is just family conflict. All of Jane Austen's stories are about class and family. You're you're in the wrong class. You love somebody who's above your station or below your station. You're friends with somebody who's above your station or below your station. And you're either rich or you're poor or you're smart or you're dumb or whatever, or you just are an outcast. All of her books are about outcasts in one way or the other. And we're all those things. And so these are stories that have been told a million times before her. Um, Mark Twain notoriously didn't like Jane Austen. Hmm. And my argument is he was jealous. Well, I've heard that although Mark Twain was a great man in many respects, he was also a massive dick. So I've yeah, yeah. one of those huge misogynists. Yeah. Yeah. And you can read it in his I mean, you know, Becky doesn't have a ton to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like he didn't know what to do there. Um, but he did he notoriously didn't like her. And he's part of the reason why people think she's just romantic drivel. And they like lumped her in with the um the Bronte sisters didn't really love her either because she were, was better than them. But they, they was that little women or Wuthering Heights? No, well, Withering Heights, Jane Eyre, Agnes Jane Eyre, Grey. I always get it's because of the Janes, and I'm not clearly right, not right. very literary, so I'm just like, yeah. what did so I learn in English in school? Right. Well, there's three Bronte sisters, right. and Anne Bronte, who I think is the most talented of the three. Her books, *Tenant of Wildfell Hall* and *Agnes Grey*, almost no one's read. And mm-hmm. I, again, blind spot, didn't read them until adulthood, and then I read them, and I'm like, ooh, drop the mic. Charlotte wrote Jane Eyre and Emily wrote Withering Heights. And I love Withering Heights. I love Withering Heights. And Rhea's listening to this going, I hate Withering Heights. So she's shouting about how much she hates <laughs> Withering Heights. Lee hates Withering Heights. Most people hate Withering Heights. I love that book so much. But Anne Bronte is a way better writer than either of her sisters. But again, it's the same thing. Like we focus on the torrid, you know, romance stuff there. And again, that's part of it. But those books aren't about that. They're again about class and 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 they're about you know, being an outcast and they're about being true to who you are and loving who you love or hating who you are, whatever. All those things are there. And it's just that in Withering Heights, they're just so mean to each other. Um, the Brontes were all about mean. Everybody was mean. And it's funny, their their dad was a preacher. Jane's dad was a preacher. It's a weird thing going on there. All these preacher's daughters have got stuff to say about life, <laughs> apparently. They are just sitting there observing everybody coming through like hypocrite, hypocrite, full of shit. I'm going to write about it. Um, so, you know, it just so for me, it's just like trying to make it accessible, trying to make it fun. Um, but owning that, I mean, even my other novel is is like Faulkner-esque. Like when I was trying to describe it to somebody and she didn't get what was happening, I was like, did you ever read this? She's like, yeah, I'm like, it's just like that then. That's what it is. It's a modern day retelling of that. She's like, oh, okay. And it is, but it isn't, you know, and it's like, so there's just only so many stories. We're just all retelling them. Even Shakespeare was retelling stories that happened before him. The Bible's retelling stories that happened before it. Oh yeah, um, you know, and it's like parables. And and again, whether it's fi- whether you believe, I'm not, I'm not here to say that you know the Bible's full of fiction. What I'm saying is, 
those are retelling of sort like those myths exist and the things that people believe in in the the gods that we believe in are stories we're trying to tell ourselves stories and story matters um story gets us through it it helps us explains things helps us feel comfort when you read your empathy level goes up mm-hmm. um because you get to meet people that aren't you yeah and you have to be you have to have a even a slim amount of empathy to be able to even read a book so everyone i think is probably capable of a degree of empathy it just depends if it's a slither or if it's you know a, a bathtub full of um, i don't know what the metric <laughs> well of empathy said. is i don't understand what a, a metric of hello a, a well, suitcase full that. of empathy a bathtub, i like a bathtub <laughs> of empathy yeah but yeah it's it's one of those like my my english will start to wrap up but my um yeah my english teacher english literature literature teacher he specifically said he was like i, th- I think he said the general rule of thumb is like it was either six eight or twelve he was like basically Every single story ever written, I think it was eight, will fit into one of these categories of, you know, there's the tragedy. He said Shakespeare covered most of them, but he didn't create them. But you can always use Shakespeare as a template that almost every story can, in some degree, you know, because Romeo and Juliet is a romantic tragedy. You know, you've got, um, I'm not going to go through them, but there's comedies and etc. But it's like... They are retelling, and the thing is with stories as well, and literature even, and as you said, the Bible and even any religious writing, is that language develops before written language did. So before right. even anything could have been written down, even when we were like hunter-gatherers or even before that, when we were like barely having language, there's stories that are told. Even like to going really kind of far out, it's like animals warn like crows will talk to other crows and say hey that dude down there is really cool you give a crow like a nice shiny thing they'll tell their other crow friends and the other crows will come to you that's the 100%. crows telling a story to each other it's just you know it's that kind of thing so all animals can in a micro level tell stories to each other so us as humans and our predecessors of evolution have been able to communicate in that way and stories have historically been told first off so for survival you know avoid the red berries they're poisonous you know kids don't listen let's tell the kids a story about a kid who ate a red berry and then exploded or peed until he died you know random things and that's stories parables proverbs all of language the foundation of it came from survival and even a lot of religion you know heaven and hell good and evil those kind of concepts is just hey don't do this thing Okay, because of here's a reason I'm going to give why you shouldn't do this thing. But the core value is normally to protect yourself or your clan. You know, don't go over there. Don't scream at nighttime because the monsters will get you. Well, when we were told that the monsters were like bears. So it's like, that's a good thing. But they've translated across time. So is exactly what you're saying. It's just language has evolved and that's become into writing and then that's evolved. So it's, it's just adaptation after adaptation. But this one is a very exciting adaptation. This is Thank one that you. I'm very excited to get into. I've already pre-ordered it, and I'll put a <laughs> pre-order link in the show notes as well. Well, when's um, this coming out, Michael? In what? Okay, it's the end of May, isn't it? The show, the book comes out on May 29th. May, I thought it was 29th, but I didn't want to say it in case I yeah. was wrong and it'd be feeling misinformation. But I'll, yeah. in, in the show notes, I'll make that as well. Um, and I'll put a link to your website and everything Thank like you. that. But is there anything else as we wrap up that you wanted to say? Um, the last well, thing you said was a perfect wrap up, to be honest with you. And I wish I'd kind of stopped it there without rambling. We can, crows, you can but... edit whatever. <laughs> I like I'm the not going to do that. <laughs> okay. I would say, listen, I just say this. I just want people to give it to give books a chance. And this is eventually the, you know, and if you're like, ooh, I don't want to spend the money, I don't want to whatever, I get it. There's there's ebooks available. Eventually this will be available through Hoopla Digital and and through Overdrive and Libby and whatever. They my publisher's really good about getting into libraries, which is really important to me. So if you want to wait, that's fine. Um, our friend Ada McCartney is going to do the audiobook. So if you're like, I don't want to read it still a hundred thousand words, you said it's fine. 
I just think whether it's this or whatever, I just think books matter. Writing matters. I've been working my butt off on the new book and I feel so good doing it. And so I just, thanks for letting me geek out and talk about it. Um, it means a lot to me that you're doing this for me. And uh, it's it's hard for me. It's easy. You're my first one doing this. So it's like, okay, I'll do it with Mike and then I'll be okay. And then Kyle wants to do one and Seth wants to do one. So that's good. People I know first, and then I'll go on other shows, maybe with people I don't know. And you're trying to hook me up with a friend of yours. So I just want to appreciate you, Mike, for being one of my biggest cheerleaders. That means a lot to me. And Mike, everybody, is going to be one of the first readers of the next book to tell me all the British stuff I got wrong. Um, <laughs> or so I appreciate right. that. Or I got right. Whatever. You're going to, you, know, you and Megan and, and Spider Dan and Rhea and Jack and it's, Paul. It's, so I appreciate it's perfectly guys. timed. It's perfectly timed because, you know, I'm I'm catching up my reading. I'm like, I've only got a couple more higher public yeah. books to do. And then I've got a nice gap. And it was like, with this, not that everything revolves around me, but in this scenario, well, it, does. it, does it works very well. It works yeah, it very does well around for you me. Because I'm asking you to do a favor. So I appreciate that. So this is just, thanks for doing this. I mean, this has been, this is surreal to me. It hasn't, I don't physically have it in my hand, but I've read the arc. I can see the order link. I know people have bought copies. Um, I know people have... I, I, 12-year-old me doesn't know what to do right now. Um, I'm struggling with that a little. It's, you know, imposter syndrome is a thing. Um, because you you do this, you sit in your room alone and you write, tell a story, and then you have the balls to share it with the world. And you think they care. It's very vulnerable. Um, so, it is very, it's hard yeah. because I know I'm going to get bad reviews. I know people are going to hate it. There's somebody, when I was talking to Matt Kent the other day, he told me, um, one of my heroes, one of my writing heroes, he's like, Hey man, when you get your book, don't ever open it. Just put it on the shelf and be like, look what I did. He's like, cause you're going to open it and you're the first page you turn to, you're going to find a typo. <laughs> he's like, you know, what's in there. Don't do that. He's like, his typos happen, man. They get through the final edit. And it does. I mean, I've caught them in books. I'm sure you have too. You're reading I've, a book. I've like, literally got books behind me where there's yeah, typos. And I'm pretty course. good at spotting typos as yeah, well. Yeah, me too. So. And I'm good at, except my own. So it's just very exciting. And it is. It's a very vulnerable thing to say, I think I'm good enough to be on your bookshelf um, next well, I to know you are. Claudia Gray. Well, thank yeah, you. I know you are. And the I, I wouldn't, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of authors, but with you, I wanted to make sure as much as I could. And I'm releasing this episode in one go. I'm not splitting this episode oh, up at all. Oh, wow. It's going to be one big go. I want people to hear you unfiltered you. without break. And it's just your passion is inspiring and Thank your you. your passion makes me want to get into Jane Austen more and I want to shout from the rooftops about it. I've told some of my friends as well who are much bigger into reading than I am and I'm going to push it as much as I can. So it's just your, your passion is infectious and your love of Jane Austen is and it's just, you know, I've spoken before about the pull or, you know, that kind of I don't necessarily believe in destiny and things, but there's certain things that people just gravitate towards and they just kind of things, you just get drawn to stuff. And I just know that you and writing, it's always been a thing. And so for someone who's so passionate and has this manifestation of all their work coming together, just makes me as a person so happy. So any way I can help that, I, I just want to. So, I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops about your book. I'm going to be reading your book. I've got it pre-ordered. I've got it. It says it's going to be on its way when it is. And when it does, I'll be taking photos, putting on social media and sharing it all. And uh, <sighs> this will be coming out, I believe, because I'm speaking to a High Republic author in two days. What? But, but yeah, another one. I've got an, Dude, another one lined up. Dude, you're checking out. That's I'm so proud of you. my best. It's amazing. Yeah. So it, and so even one good. of those. Uh, there, you're going to be now. It's going to be like, oh, did you get on the Burton show yet? <laughs> That's, they're all going to talk to each other. And I hope so. 
It's, yeah, it's, that's how it's going to be. You're that guy. <laughs> but it's so like, excited. Even like Kevin Scott, I scrubbed his newsletter. He talks about he still has imposter syndrome. He's like a New York Times bestselling author. He's at the helm of the High Republic Architects. He's written Sherlock. He's written Doctor Who. He's written like amazing classic it's British one stuff. One of the greatest indie comics of the last 10 years. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, Shadow Service and things. Oh my and, God. And it's just like, he's done all this. And he still today he, in his newsletter says, he feels imposter syndrome. So it's not just you. It's any kind of amazing creative, but it's just, yeah, I'm going to be releasing this this Sunday so people will have time before the book comes out. Thank and you. when the book actually does come out, I'll do double sharing and things like that. So just thank you so much, Tony. Thank All you, the information Mike. will be in the show notes. You are genuinely an inspiration and I can't wait to call myself a J-Knight from getting into your stuff. You and Rudyard, our house. Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> He's the one who coined the term. So you'll be in good, you'll be in good company. So that'll be good. Fantastic. Well, just thank you Thanks, once Mike. again, Tony. Thank you. Bye, everybody. And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, my friends, I hope you like this extra long episode of Genuine Chit Chat that I didn't split in two because I just thought it was so important to hear it all in one go. And obviously to support Tony, who is just an incredible human being. Make sure to check out all the details in the description, especially Tony's website. And please try and subscribe to his newsletter. And as I said in the intro, and we've said in this conversation, if you could consider either pre-ordering the book or if it's after May 29th buying the book, it would mean the absolute world to Tony. And he is just such a force for good. I just want to try and help him wherever I can. If you want to hear even more from Tony on Genuine Chit Chat, he has appeared on the show three times before on episodes 71, 88, and 184. 71 serves as a good introduction to him and his work as a teacher and those sort of things. In episode 88, it's myself, Megan, and Tony, and we talk about teaching and things. With Megan being a teacher, there's a bit more perspective there. So another education-related conversation. And then episode 184 was just a passion thing for myself and Tony, where we ranked every single Weezer album and talked about all of our favourite songs of theirs and just trying to encourage more people to listen to Weezer. So if you want any of those things, please go back and check out episodes 71, 88, and 184. But what have we got coming up? Well, my friends, very exciting news. I recorded a conversation with another Star Wars High Republic author a couple days ago. I spoke with George Mann. He's the writer of a lot of literature, including Witchwood and Newbreen Hobbs. But in the Star Wars realm, he's written the sort of Myths and Fables trilogy, the most recent one being the Life Day Treasury. But he's written for the High Republic, not just the short story in the Life Day Treasury. But he wrote Quest for the Hidden City. He wrote the audio drama, The Battle of Jeddah. He's writing the Dark Horse comics and the Nameless Terror, although I think they're almost finished now. And he is also writing some stuff for Phase 3, including I believe the book is The Eye of Darkness, and that's going to be an adult novel as well. He's a friend of Kevin Scott's. I had the pleasure of meeting him briefly in Star Wars Celebration, and he gave me a full hour off his time, and I'm very, very excited to release that episode. It probably won't be next week's episode, because while I've just spoken to Tony, it's quite an author and book-related conversation, and obviously each week I do try and give a bit of variety. But fear not, friends, I've got other conversations recorded. I had Spider-Dan stay with myself and Megan over the weekend. We watched a very peculiar film called Visitor Q, which was my choice, and we'll be recording a podcast about that in the coming weeks, I imagine, but that's probably not going to be released until, I think, June sort of time, so keep your eye out for that. But next week, what have we got? Well, I'm recording Disney Discussions number seven tomorrow, which is going to be myself, Megan, and Rhea, and we're talking about our cartoon crushes. Uh, so we watched four films. Each of us chose the film, which has got our cartoon crush in that, relating to a Disney film. So it's going to be a very fun conversation there. 
there. I'm also recording the second episode of Star Wars Rebels Reviewed. That's where myself, Math, and Dave go through each season of Star Wars Rebels, the animated show, which in my opinion is one of the best pieces of Star Wars content that exists. And we talk about all the episodes and some of the things. It's basically a good way for me to rewatch the show and also to get Math into the show while also trying to tell everyone who hasn't seen the show, try and watch it because it's amazing. In addition to that, I've got a conversation with a business entrepreneur towards the end of the week. I won't say who they are. Once I've got that in the bag, I can give more information. So next week, it's going to be a complete gamble of what episode I release. It might be the Star Wars one. It might be the Disney Discussions one, or it might be the Entrepreneur one. I am leaning maybe on the Entrepreneur one. And then after that, I could probably release the George Mann sort of one. And then after that, I could probably release Disney Discussions. And then after that, the Star Wars Rebels Reviewed. Just so it's kind of not trying to be loads and loads of Star Wars or loads and loads of authors stuff one after another plus there's other stuff in the pipeline i've got going on as well so we shall see Obviously, a great way to keep up to date with what I'm doing is follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat, but you can also keep up to date with myself and Tony, as well as the Femon Collective, Spider Down the Secret Balls, and loads of other amazing creators at the Pop Culture Collective. A link is in the description. It's a weekly newsletter, and each of us just give like a 100 or so words explaining what we're up to and the content that we are releasing. It's a really quick thing to subscribe to. The newsletter isn't gigantic. It's really easy just to read through quite quickly, and it's a perfect way to keep up to date with all of us without having to follow every single person on social media and pay attention to all of these social social media posts and all that sort of stuff so please consider subscribing to the pop culture collective in addition to that, you can support me by going to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat for as little as £1 a month. You get access to hours and hours of additional content. I put all the money straight back into the show, but you will get at least one bonus episode of Afterthoughts every single week. The vast majority of them, myself and Megan reviewing stuff or talking about um, trips that we've been on recently, holidays, those sort of things. We're going to Somerset over the weekend next week, so we're going to record something on that. We recently watched the film Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which is an amazing movie, and we're going to record an Afterthoughts on that as well. We've also been doing the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. We've also recorded uh, thoughts on Boiling Point, which is a one-shot movie, which is currently on the UK Netflix, starring Stephen Graham. That's absolutely incredible. It's all as in one shot. There's no cuts or anything. Absolutely fantastic movie. Loads of really great stuff over there on Afterthoughts. So it's movie reviews, TV reviews, and just people love the banter between myself and Megan. You get to kind of see how we act outside of podcasting, even though we are technically podcasting in that realm. But a lot of people absolutely love it, and it helps support the show. And it's only £1 a month. So if you could do that, it would mean the absolute world to me and I wouldn't want to leave you high and dry so you do get bonus content at least one episode every single week and a lot of the time if I release quite a bit of Star Wars content I will release a bonus episode on Afterthoughts as well just for the fans who aren't quite as invested in Star Wars as I am Obviously, if you like this conversation with Tony, you can listen to some of my other conversations with authors. Recently, I spoke to Lisa Baker, who wrote some children's books, so it's quite interesting hearing from that perspective. But obviously, I've spoken to a lot of Star Wars authors on this show. I've spoken to a lot of non-Star Wars authors on this show. And the best place to check all those things out is going to youtube.com slash genuine chit chat. You not only get a video version of this conversation and my upcoming conversation with George Mann, my one with Kevin Scott, Paolo Villanelli, lots of people I've had video conversations with. But in addition to that, there are playlists on YouTube. So I've got everything in playlists. So if you just want to listen to every conversation I've had about books or with authors there's a playlist for that there's one about movies and things there's one about Star Wars there's all kinds of different things so although YouTube you may not be listening on YouTube primarily especially if you're listening to this you're probably more of an audio file YouTube's a really great way if you want to delve into the back catalogue a little bit more but obviously you can contact me in any of the social media places or email me or anywhere like that and I'm happy to give recommendations 
Obviously, there's my other show, Styles Comics in Canon, and I will say you never have to have read a single Styles comic in your entire life. You don't even have to have read any Star Wars books, comics, or any comics at all. Never even have to have read a book before. If you've just seen most of the Star Wars movies, then you'll feel right at home. I've created the show specifically so that no matter what kind of Star Wars fan you are, if you've seen every single show, read all the books, etc., or if you've never touched any of the content outside of the films, it's a great way to expand your canon knowledge. I go through comics, I talk about the plots, so I take you through the story myself so you have a good idea of what's going on in whatever content I'm tackling that week and then along the way I give additional information on loads of different things including species that pop up, reoccurring events, characters that may appear in this comic, that appear in a book somewhere else who may have made their debut in Legends, things like that. It's a really great way to just have a better understanding of Star Wars as a whole without having to pick up all of the content yourself and also a lot of people have contacted me individually and said basically the same thing, which is A, they love the show, so thank you friends, but also that it feels like story time with Mike. So if you really like hearing my voice and you want to hear me talk for between 20 minutes and an hour at a time about Star Wars while giving you loads of information and narrative stuff, please consider going to Star Wars Comics in Canon. It now has its own feed and I'm adding several episodes a week so it can get caught up, but every episode up to date is on the feed of Comics in Motion and also on my YouTube channel and then hopefully by the end of 2023 I'll have all of them on their own feed. But if you want a great place to start or you want to kind of listen to like every vader episode or every high republic episode those sorts of things going to the direct feed of star wars comics in canon is the perfect way to do so if you want to support the show aside from supporting me on patreon you can obviously follow me on social media at genuine chit chat on instagram twitter and on facebook but you can also leave reviews for the show you can share it on social media you can tell your friends about it but leaving ratings and reviews are really really helpful for getting the show known so on spotify it takes like two seconds to do a five star rating or you can give a slightly more in-depth review there's on audible people can leave reviews on good pods on apple podcasts all those great places but any way that you support the show even if you're just a listener like yourselves or if you're supporting on patreon or sharing on social media or leaving reviews i appreciate appreciate you hugely just thank you so much for listening to the show i really hope that any of you can support tony in any way that you can even if it's just going to his website subscribing to his newsletter or sharing his stuff online but anyone who pre-orders the book i'm sending all the good vibes and all the good karma i have straight your way but just thank you for listening as always my friends i appreciate each and every one of you i'll be talking to you next week with one of the three or four podcasts i've got recorded in the bag i hope you have a wonderful week and i'll speak to you then you have just experienced host creator everything else are of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of star wars comics and canon found on the comics in motion podcast mike burton